The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. It was a ground shaking Valentine's Day weekend in the mountains. An earthquake rocked the towns of Banff and Canmore. Canadian officials reported it as a 3.9 magnitude. Uh, one done by the United States Geological Survey said it was 4.4. So the town of Banff said on social media on the weekend, on Saturday evening, that there was no significant damage reported. Uh, but lots of folks who were visiting were startled uh, because it was the first earthquake that they'd ever been in. We were in our hotel rooms. We have two adjoining ones. And all of a sudden, it, everything shook. Like it was... It felt like it was rolling. Well, they weren't fully panicked. A few kids were crying. Sort of like a combination between a helicopter landing on the roof here and a uh, loud thunder clap. I thought the roof was collapsing here. Or maybe a truck was that smashed into us in the back alley. I immediately uh, went outside to see if a tree had fallen and hit my house or the neighbor's furnace had exploded. That was the BAMP fire chief, actually. There was a lot of other folks who didn't even realize that earthquakes happened here, but they do. Apparently, Alberta's experienced over 600 earthquakes between 1985 and 2011. With more, we are joined by Timmy Mulder, an earthquake seismologist with the Geological Survey of Canada. Welcome to the show. Hello, Jalen. I am so excited to talk to you. Can you tell me first off how you became, how does one become a seismologist? (laughs) Well, I I took geophysics at UBC and when I graduated, I was looking for a bit of adventure and I saw an advertisement for a job up in the high Arctic at the northern end of Ellesmere Island running a seismic station in a geomag station. And at that time, I thought, oh, that would be so cool. I can go see the Northern Lights. This will be great. <laughs> well, I spent a month in Ottawa doing my, my pre-training before I went there to run the station. And when I went up north to run the station, I actually, just before I left, I realized, oh, my goodness, we're in the polar cap region. I'm not going to see any Northern Lights. <laughs> I was super disappointed. <laughs> And then, you know, a week later, I head on up to the high Arctic. Oh, man. Yeah, that was the beginning of it all. (laughs) Oh, wow. What a career. I think you have a really, really cool job. And I know you've had a busy weekend answering lots of questions from a lot of different people about earthquakes in Alberta. Uh, As I mentioned, I think some people are, are surprised when they find out that there's actual earthquakes in Alberta, but it does happen. But describe, what do we know about this uh, this one that happened on, what was it, Saturday night? Uh, the earthquake on Saturday night was a magnitude 3.9 earthquake, and it was located just north of Banff. Um, and it was, yeah, it was part of the normal seismicity that we get in the area. It was, you know, a little on the upper end for the regular run of events, but not too unusual. Except for the fact that so many people in Banff actually felt it (laughs) because it was so close to Banff. (laughs) Well, and I think that's it, right? I suspect that these things happen, um, you know, a lot 
more often, certainly in the Rockies, than they're felt, just given uh, a population. So um, I, I'm curious to know, um, when I look, when I read and think about earthquakes, and we, we hear about um, earthquakes, you know, through the Rockies, certainly out into uh, the, the West Coast, when I compare them to what happens on the West Coast of the United States, Tammy, I'm like, what is going on there? Because there seems to be, um, oftentimes, or there certainly can be, massive devastation, whereas we don't see that here. What What's the difference? Well, down in the U.S. and California in particular, the actually, I should talk a bit about the similarities. So all okay. along west coast of canada or of uh, north america the pacific plate is sliding by the north america plate and between um vancouver island and the the southern end of oregon there's a small offshore there's a small one to fuse plate that is subducting or diving down underneath the edge of the north america plate so when you go south of that you get the, the Pacific plates again touching the North America plate, and it slides by it in sort of a horizontal manner. And you get, and that's the San Andreas Fault, that's uh, mm-hmm. California, basically, the western edge mm-hmm. of California. And you get a lot of what we call strike slip earthquakes. And a strike slip just means that the rock slided past itself in a, in a relatively horizontal manner. They lend to much. They lend themselves to much shallower uh, depths of earthquakes, which means that they're felt more strongly for the same magnitude because they tend to be closer to the population. As you go north, and the Juan de Fuca plate subducts underneath North America, those events tend to be deep. They can be deeper. They can be in the subducting plate. They can go down to a maximum of 100 kilometers. Uh, the one we had in Seattle, south of Seattle in the Olympia area in 2011, that one was felt in in um, southern BC quite strongly, and that was at a depth of about 60 kilometers. For oh, an wow. You're already that much, for, when you get these deeper events, you're already that much further away. Hmm. Tommy, how, what's the biggest, what's the biggest earthquake um, that we know about that's happened in Canada? The biggest earthquake was uh, magnitude 9 on, in 1700. It was the subducting, what we call a subduction earthquake or a mega thrust earthquake. And the subducting one de Fuca plate, as it goes under the North America plate, it sticks and it slips. And when it slips, it has the potential to have these magnitude 9 size events. And the last one was 1700. Wow. And that's largest. We have had some large or um, slightly smaller events in magnitude eight region and eight point one in uh, Haida Gwaii area, west coast of Haida Gwaii. In um, uh, sorry, in the nineteen fifties. So there's those ones. Okay, I'm. You know what? It, it's nineteen fifty nine. Oh, okay. Sorry, 1949. Okay, you were just breaking up just uh, a little bit there. Is there a way um, or, you know, what work is being done on trying to forecast earthquakes? I mean, is that even a possibility? 
ability uh you know will we ever get to that point because you know i'm sure there's a whole lot of folks living on the west coast that would really really like that well i'd say that um a, a lot of work is ongoing i work at the pacific geoscience center which is part of the geological survey of canada and we almost all our focus is on the tectonics of british columbia and a huge amount of focus is on the southwestern corner because we have a lot of seismicity and a lot of population. So there's a lot of work going on right now. I'd say that we've come a long way. Uh, we didn't even used to know that we had the potential to have a magnitude 9 event. And what's happened now is we are able to say, well, within a certain time frame, and for these magnitude 9 events, they occur on an interval of 250 to 800 years. And so we have a time frame now. We know that when the last one was, we know we're in a time window of the next big magnitude 9 could happen anytime between now and the next 500 years. So we get this, we, we can narrow things down to a time frame. Smaller earthquakes repeat on, on smaller time scales than the larger events. We also know geographic regions, so we know about the subduction earthquake potential for that front to rupture. We also know which other areas as you come inland from the coast um, have a lot of seismicity and which ones don't. And what the maximum, then the third thing is we can predict maximum values. So, for example, down in California, the earthquakes top out around in the magnitude 8 region, whereas upward the... Uh, Juan de Fuca Plate is subducting underneath the edge of North America. The earthquakes will top out in the magnitude 9 region. As we go further north, we again have the Pacific Plate touching the North America Plate, moving in this uh, strike slip horizontal motion. And again, they would top out around the magnitude 8 um, um, magnitudes. Oh, so interesting. Tommy Mulder is an earthquake seismologist with the Geological Survey of Canada. wanted to ask you about this. Now, we, we saw on uh, the weekend as well in Japan that there was, I think, a, was it a 7.1 or an 8 uh, magnitude earthquake uh, off the coast of Japan. We're coming up to the 10-year anniversary of the Hoku uh, earthquake, which resulted in that uh, devastating tsunami um, that just destroyed parts of uh, of Japan what is it so you know 10 years ago 10 years ago um, an earthquake caused a massive tsunami this weekend there was another large earthquake off the coast of Japan but it didn't cause a tsunami why is that is it the depth of where it's happening well, the earthquakes, in order to cause a tsunami, we have to have two things. One, the earthquake has to rupture the ocean floor and move part of it either up or down. And two, the earthquake has to be large enough. It has to be around magnitude seven, seven and a half. You start to get very small tsunamis. And as the magnitude goes up, you would get a larger one. So if this particular earthquake did not rupture the ocean floor, then there would be no associated tsunami. Or there was a very small one associated that the general, you know, a few millimeters. <laughs> the and, general and, then public do, and then do we know why some rupture the floor and others don't? Is it just the strength of them? It's the, yes, it's the, it's the strength of them, where they're located. Some okay. are deep and just not large enough to yeah. rupture all the way through. 
before I let you go, um, you know, because I could talk to you all day. <laughs> I really could. I'm like, next time I'm out in Victoria, I'm going to find you and we're going to have some ciders together or something. I'm going to pick your brain about this stuff for ages because I just <laughs> think it is so interesting. You have a really, really cool job. Is, you know, is what, what, what research is being done right now um, or, or what's exciting you most about the future of the work that you do um, that that could lead to some some interesting discoveries or you know more knowledge about earthquakes in this country in the years ahead there's a lot of really cool stuff going on one of the things that's made a big difference over the last decade or so is that communications and instrumentation has gotten so much cheaper and there especially down in california there's been some very exciting studies where they've closely instrumented faults a a large number of instruments in a very small area Mm. left them out for a couple months um and uh, numerous experiments have, have also gone over years these are really exciting and what they're allowing us to do is to really study the fault at a much closer um vicinity Uh, typically like for example in the 80s when we refurbished the canadian network you know the the concept was to instrument all of canada we would have a grid 500 kilometers across so that we could detect magnitude three and above in anywhere in canada well that that was very useful and then we got more stations and more populated places that had a lot of earthquakes. However, down in California, but those stations are now, you know, in the, the in Canada, for example, the more densely located ones are, are perhaps 20 to 40, 50 kilometers away from each other. But I'm talking about in California, some of the cool research that's been done and small bits of research have also happened in Canada, but this has happened on a much larger scale studying known active faults in California where it's much easier to access these regions to do this kind of study. <laughs> I mean, we have so much forest, forested and mountain areas here. Anyway, what I wanted to say is that we're talking hundreds of instruments in an array on one side of the fault and hundreds of instruments, you know, 100 instruments in an array on another side of the fault. There may be, uh, you know, located... So the arrays are maybe uh, 20, 10 to 15 kilometers away from the fault on either side. And then inside the array, maybe they're 20 meters apart, these instruments. And so it's, it's quite exciting. And they're able to actually study changes in the rock properties uh, prior cool. earthquakes happening. And it's, it's, this leads us into really tightening up that forecasting we were talking about before and the more we start to understand these properties of rupture the far more likely we'll be able to detect and give really a much closer term notice of when a damaging event might actually happen. Tammy Mulder joining me this afternoon, an earthquake seismologist with the Geological Survey of Canada. Thank you so much for your time and your insight. I appreciate it so much. You're most welcome, Jay Lynn. I'm looking forward to that cider. Okay, you can bet on it. Thank you.